Kia ora and welcome to this episode of the Stag Roar. This episode is brought to you by our mates at Modern Pirate, 100% carbon neutral. Modern Pirate makes an amazing range of men's grooming products. And if you're one of our Aussie listeners, then you've probably seen them in your quality barber shop. I've used the pomade in their matte clay paste to style what hair I have left. And their charcoal soap is the business. You can get 10% off every order by simply entering the code STAGROAR at checkout. That's lowercase S-T-A-G-R-O-A-R. Look good and support yet another quality Kiwi export that the Aussies are sure to claim as their own. Check them out at modernpirate.com.au. That code again is STAGROAR. Kia ora and welcome to episode 180. Such a shit song. <laughs> there's um with TikTok, there's all these people dancing to that song and they spin right around. And there's a fantastic meme about this dude trying to work out uh, the angles and distances of spinning right around when you're going a full 180. He's very confused. Because of course that'd be a full 360 in case you're a little bit slow on that one. <laughs> Anywho, this episode I've got the legend Aaron Griffiths, Griffiths, say that 10 times fast, Aaron Griffiths back on the podcast. Uh, we have a really awesome chat just about what's been happening over the last sort of eight months. I spoke with Aaron and Andy, um, Andy Ross on a day that I was having an absolute battle during level four here in New Zealand and should have felt good. Um, so if you want to go back and listen to those two episodes, they were, they were, they were good chats for different reasons. Um, but yeah, this episode we catch up with what Aaron's been doing since he became officially retired from his commercial law practice, managed to uh, move that on and experience a little bit of freedom. And yeah, we just explore the ins and outs of, of that process Um what he's now exploring, the, that creative side of life, and yeah, basically the yin and yang of, of life, if we're going to use an analogy to that. I have to use a lot of analogies in this in this podcast, because that's what's cool about the idea of this, is exploring life less ordinary, and when, when it's not your ordinary, you've got to sort of, sort of find parallels, and I think that's what people can take away from these chats, is, is parallels to their own lives, parallels to their own thinking, and, and apply the sim- similar ideas, similar themes to help uh, progress their pursuit of success. So without further ado, let's get into it. It's awesome chat with Aaron Griffiths. Make sure you reach out to both of us. Links are in the show notes. Cheers, enjoy. Kia ora. We've got the master, the retired man, Aaron Griffiths, hey. back on the podcast. Made, um, I made a doozy of the old um, time zones. Of course, you people are up there in the north of Australia, don't observe daylight saving. So, oh, it's uh, archaic. We're in the you're in the we're in the back country up here, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but it was all right because I've uh, spent the last half hour or so listening to the master Netsky himself. Um, managed to go to his gig a couple of weeks ago. The beauty of New Zealand, although nice, we, we stuffed that up a little bit of late. But that's all right. We'll, we'll keep charging. Keep charging with yes. Things. Mate, um, we spoke in the deep, dark, dark depths of what the hell was going on um, last year. How's how's the rest of it been, mate? Uh, yeah, so managed to retire. Been, <laughs> yeah, so that would have been uh, 
after COVID uh, hit and I was at home from memory and everything was uh, hickledy pickledy. There was a lot of uncertainty at the time. We it was didn't about know April. It, April, yeah. So yeah, that's when the wheels kind of fell off for me in 2020, to be honest. Um, and I sort of spiraled downwards actually for a couple of months it wasn't good um so yeah because i was selling my law practice which i'd created and had been running for 10 years and i was due to settle that i was under due diligence i was under contract to sell it i hadn't told anybody because you know until you've got your due diligence completed uh you don't want to go telling staff or clients or anyone like that until it's sort of locked in so I was under contract and COVID breaks when I was two weeks from the due diligence being completed. And so that just threw a spanner in the works and I was supposed to be sold and out by, by May and everything got put off, delayed. And of course I took it a little personally. I was trying not to, but I felt like the universe was conspiring against me. Uh, all of those quotes about how oh, everything's happening for you, you know, that all went out the window and it was a rough time because it was just like um, so ridiculously unpredictable and no one knew what was happening. So, and I had to keep this a secret of course uh, for many, many months until eventually things kind of became a little clearer and we were able to renegotiate. And so I didn't end up settling until September. And then I had a workout period for the new owners, which ended in late November. So from May to November, it wasn't that bad, but it was a little, it was a bitter pill to swallow at the time, because as you can imagine, the process to sell a business is pretty lengthy by the time you're, prepare, list it, get it ready. You know, you go through a few inquiries, you deal with different buyers and you negotiate, then you go through due diligence. It's a very long process. So um, yeah, I'm glad to be through it and I'm glad to have 2020 behind me. Yeah, man. So how big was your inner circle that you could offload some frustration to? And I'm, and I'm bit with all that time, they probably got sick of you complaining. Was, was there a bit of that? <laughs> The complaining, oh geez, I I really thought it was a it was a bit humbling because I thought with the practices that I probably felt a little cocky to be honest because <laughs> I'd had such a good run for such a, a long time. I felt indestructible. I thought with my meditation practice, with my ice baths, um, you know, with my movement practice, everything was going so good. I was in a great relationship. I felt indestructible and I guess it was a, a lesson you can't get too cocky and you can never, you can never be too confident either or too uh, sure of yourself. And so it derailed me a bit. And I, yeah, I did struggle. I, even with those practices um, and I went off the, I went off the piss. I, I stopped drinking for six months because I thought, Oh, I'm struggling mentally. I'll, I'll just cut alcohol. So I had, I was doing all the right things and just nothing seemed to be, um, bringing me relief like all of my normal tools just weren't working so it was one of those ones where I had to just like hang in there and just grind it out and um, I think too the collective was going pretty chaotic you know the community was uh, every time you look at the news it was um, mm. there was a lot of fear and 
I think that was affecting me, but uh, I just had to hang in there. And there was, there was a bit of complaining. I probably wasn't the nicest person to be around at times, but thankfully everybody hung in there for me and um, I got through it. So yeah, it was a very long year and I was, I was stoked to make it through to November and, you know, the final day was pretty euphoric by the time it arrived. I'd, I'd uh, be dreaming of it for so long. And so it finally happened and it was a fairly euphoric day. And it was one of those Red Bull moments when you walk out the doors for the last time and you, you're almost flying, you know, cause you're so happy. So I got to experience that. Um, and it was a conscious exit and I hung in there. So unlike many of my previous sackings where I'm frog marched out of the building, you know, uh, it was a nice, way to exit on good terms so i'm proud of myself for um turning over a new leaf there no that, that's awesome mate um today on your on your instagram you sort of put up some posts around doing hardship and um it's funny that you sort of say about you know all, all your practices and, and things that you do to sort of balance out and give you perspective you straight away took me and, and I've, I've actually ended up with like tears in my eyes <laughs> you straight away took me to doing the freaking 53k and just being in those moments of what the fuck am i doing this is so yeah. dumb this is so painful why am i why am i here what am i up to um yep. you know you're not going to make it type stuff yeah like, and and how that feels god i, I can only see my relate that there must have been some moments like that of like oh who do i turn to i've got myself to blame for this well you know what am i what am i going to do i'm i'm such a strong person but right now i'm grumbling <laughs> yeah Oh, it's a test. I, I guess um, uh, it was a real test for me of my of my metal or my nerves. So um, I hadn't been put in that position before. I'd never I'd never sold a business before. Um, it was my first business that I'd created and owned. Prior to that, I was only ever an employee. So uh, you know, it was a matter of handing in your resignation and giving you two weeks or your four weeks notice, um, or um, I was sacked and given no notice. Yeah. So previously, um, things ended quickly, but this was a very long, uh, drawn out process. And I think too, um, I wanted to, I wanted to exit, yeah, consciously, and I wanted to create a good situation for myself um, to move into and transition into something new. So. I knew I need capital for that. So, you know, I wanted to try and maximize the most out of my efforts from the past 10 years. So, you know, I wanted to sell it for, um, for good value and get something for my hassle. And yeah, that required a bit of sacrifice and a bit of rejigging and hanging in there. And um, especially through probably one of the most uncertain, weirdest, times in his in you know in modern history anyway where it, it was with the economy we just didn't know what was happening it was all over the shop and thankfully by the time we settled and i handed over the economy here the local economy anyway just uh blossomed because the lockdowns in melbourne pushed everybody up into queensland where i am everybody was escaping uh melbourne so we had this influx of people which generated all this real estate business and all the local businesses just started going berserk. Um, the rental market went crazy. The, the property market went crazy. So everything bounced back with a vengeance and I was able to hand it over uh, in really good times. And it was very prosperous 
prosperous when I handed it over, which made me feel better because you don't want to sort of, uh, you know, I'd worked really hard to build this thing and you don't want to um, give, give something over as it's collapsing because the whole economy is collapsing. So uh, for my conscience, that felt really great, but it was a huge test. Um, yeah, it was like doing your 53K. It was like doing your, your marathon. So uh, extremely happy to get through it and proud of myself for hanging in there. Yeah. And, and I know you're sort of, like you said, all, all the things that, you know, the mantras and stuff, you know, about the universe taking care of things. Um, what was, what was doubt like and how did you push through that? Oh, you know, there must've been times where you thought, oh, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. Maybe I'm supposed to stay with this or, or something like that. <laughs> that yeah. That, that bargaining that goes on in your head. Well, I think it was the uncertainty that was killing me where, you know, we, we just want to know our future. We want to know the path and we want to know what's going to happen, but it became so unpredictable that that was what I think was unhinging me. It was just um, none of that had ever happened before. I was in a totally new environment and I just had to um, pretty much navigate each day. And there was a lot of patience because we had extension after extension with the contract. So um I just had to sort of turn up and do my best with what I had to work with and, and write it out. And I think if you've ever been depressed um, and you've gotten through depression, um, you kind of know in the back of your mind that it will, it will pass eventually. So um, just ride the snake, so to speak. And, and yeah, there was some pretty low, yeah, there were pretty low weeks, but um, you just got to do your best. And, really there's no choice. You know, I just, I didn't feel like I had a choice. Um, and you know, if the buyers had to turn around and said, Oh no, the economy is too uncertain. We're going to, we're going to pull the pin. Then I would have had to, you know, regroup, make some different decisions, but thankfully, um, you know, we just extended things, rejigged things, renegotiated things and, and got through it. So, um, in a way I felt like I didn't have much of a choice other than to just sort of, show up each day, check the news, see what was getting shut down or what was still open and do your best with the playing field that you had and, and just ride through it. So that was my approach. Um, it was hard, but I uh, got through it and it did come to an end, thankfully. And yeah, it was a, a very satisfying feeling getting across the line after you've been through, you know, an endurance event like that. So um, yeah, I was pleased to get through it. Nice. And, and you said about patience there, you know, me at the other end of the spectrum trying to get in, into a, a practice, it's that uh, the balance of, of ambition and patience and finding the right time and, you know, and um, I guess it's those sort of when things are out of your control, you start to get frustrated <laughs> and, you know, oh, yeah. you're, you're at the other end, you know. So many other factors were out of your control. Like you said, at any moment, the buyer could have said, oh no, we're out. And, and that's, that's the sort of vulnerability I feel at my end of, of things trying to be in practices. Um, you know, maybe the current directors I work with will just be like, oh, no, Ryan, you know, a couple of years or no, we don't, don't want you as a director or, you know, all, all those yeah. sorts of things. But for me, I'm sort of going through the process of well, what's the worst that, worst that can happen, you know. It's um, life, life carries on. And he brought up the sort of being in depression. Now, I've only sort of, really felt that once and that was towards the end of uni and it was not until I sort of took stock 
of where things were, they was like, shit, I was, I was pretty down there that last year. Have, have you ever had any conscious experiences of depression? I don't know if you can have conscious depression, but. <laughs> well, I mean, I, um, I felt so low at one point that I thought to myself and I, I had, you know, friends and family around me go, yeah, I think you should probably go have a chat to someone. And um, so I, I kind of formed a self-diagnosis that I was depressed and I went to the doctor, um, which at the time, you know, you had to wait in the car park and he came <laughs> out in a radioactive suit and, and, um, and he said to me, yeah, we, we, we had a chat and I told him what was going on and, and like I, I had formed also the preconception that doctors just hand out scripts for medication and, oh, just give me a script for some antidepressants. That's all you're going to do. And, um, and he sort of looked me in the eyes and he said, you know what, Aaron, I don't think you're depressed. I think you're just going through a rough patch, mate. And, um, it was kind of exactly what I needed to hear. And, and I think I was just, I was having a rough time. He said, look, what you've told me, anyone would be a bit bummed out that, you know, you've had this dream of selling your business and going on holidays and you're supposed to be overseas right now or, or, um, uh, traveling with your children or doing all these great things and, and that's not happened. So look, any reasonable person would feel a bit blue about that. So um, he kind of, he didn't triv- trivialize it, but he kind of um, lightened me up a little bit anyway. And I, I got a referral to see a psychologist and I went to see her and I had one session and I just didn't, and I think in that session I realized yeah, I don't actually need this. I'm, I'm, I'm good. And, um, I went to see a, uh, a, like a spiritual healer, um, here on the coast and I got probably the most out of that, which was alternative sort of therapies, uh, where, um, I don't even know, you know, what she's doing. You're laying there, there's essential oils, there's feathers, there's crystals going off, but, um, just a really soothing lady and a good conversation. And I, I left there just feeling incredible. And it was almost like uh, this was all around the same time. So I went to see the doctor, uh, the spiritual healer, and then the psychologist and all in the one week. And it's just like it lifted. And I, and I just came out of this, I guess, a a patch of melancholy. So, and then, um, yeah, I just, I just cracked on and, and just got through it. And it was, uh, there was lots of anticipation each day. So, it's pretty adrenal year all round, but um, oh, just so so satisfying when you get to the finish line. I can imagine like doing one of those endurance events when you hit that finish line. It must just feel incredible. Yeah, it was uh, overwhelming. Was was how I'd describe it. <laughs> um, I, was, I was I was listening to Andrew Huberman talk about some things that are non-verbal and. Um, and you're saying like nonverbal stuff is kind of like surfing or, and I think it's the same with ultra runners. They, they've got this crazy sort of connection to each other. Um, you see it in CrossFit. Um, and, and it sort of dawned on me that, that hunting is like that. You can't explain how freaking good it is. But when yeah. people that have done it, look at each other and yes. talk, say, yeah, you do that. They're like, oh yeah. You know, you see yeah. it and you see it in surfers, you see it in skaters. Um, you know, it's those real sort of, crazy significant things that just sort of 
make people buzz out. And, and I'm sort of here look, listening to you um, and, and seeing the look on your face and trying to relate to what you've been through. And, and I can't, all I can find is analogies to, to what's going on. It just must have been, been massive. And, and even when I was talking about that final year of university, I guess it was the same thing as your doctor said, you know, it was this thing that I'd wanted to do since I was 12 and I was in the last year of it and it was so significant and there was so much writing on it. No wonder I was like packing myself and, and stressed and, and couldn't, ha- you know, couldn't handle yeah. it. And when it was over, just like, whoa, like you said, it was yes. so, so adrenal. You know, what's, you know, November, December, January, February, February's gone now, shit. Um, what's, yeah. it all been, what's it all been like? Like, um, where's, where's the, are you finding things to, to focus on and move forward to, or are you just really bathing in it? Yeah, well, there was a decompression phase initially uh, because I allowed myself a couple of months just to decompress, no agenda, no plan. And that freedom felt incredible because I'd been uh, running uh, this law firm for 10 years, which I created from scratch. So um, there's a lot of tension that is required to hold something like that together, a lot of responsibility. So to take that off, uh, you know, I think I, I felt three feet taller. I was walking around just lighter uh, because I'd, I'd carried that weight for a significant period. And initially I just wanted to decompress. So that felt fantastic for a couple of months. And then I started to splurge into the space that I have and realized, okay, I need to create some boundaries and some structure for myself so that uh, I crack into 2021 towards my new goals. So yeah, I've started to create a little bit of structure around my weeks. Now um, I prioritize my children. I, I get to take them to uh, jujitsu. Now I get to pick them up from school on certain days and drop them off to school and, Things that I couldn't do uh, previously because I was at work. Uh, I'm really enjoying those things. And uh, yeah, I'm, I've implemented some structure just for my creative outlets uh, and also my other practices that I'm still at, my movement, um, jiu-jitsu, um, my breathwork meditation. So they're all very important. Uh, I've just started learning the didgeridoo. So I've kind of... Uh, did you ever see that movie about a boy with Hugh Grant, how he divides his day up into, into units of time. Um, but he was, he was all about uh, leisure. So it was like snooker, two units, uh, you know, buying CDs, three units, uh, shopping for shoes. So it's not quite that self-indulgent. Um, I am trying to be creative and, and share some of the things that I've learned along the way, some of the tools so I've been a bit more active uh, on YouTube and social media, and I'm working on a, a new website at the moment. I've been doing a lot of writing, um, some art, and I'm in a, I guess, a brainstorming research and development phase to create something new to offer the world with what I've learned going through um, my career and starting and running and selling a business. And um, a lot of the practices that I really got into were to offset the stress that that business created for me and going through a divorce and yeah, having some depression and some alcoholism and I had a lot of stuff to, to get through. And so it's just interesting that that pressure pushed me into these therapies that 
uh, really brought me relief. So they're the things that interest me now. And I'm really passionate about trying to share those. So my new focus is all about those things. And um, at the moment, it's, it's in a creation phase. And um, 2021 is all about, yeah, just building something new and enjoying the space. So I've given myself this year to figure out something new and head in a totally new direction. Nice, man. So you, you touched on creation there and, you know, going from a very analytical structured process of, of commercial law to now looking at, you know, website design, writing, art, music, um, playing around with video and, and structure and, and um, you know, blending, blending different uh, cuts in and all, all that sort of stuff. And you've, yeah. got some, you've created some wicked graphics and things like that what's the sort of courage like and the, that sort of stepping out across the precipice each time um, to learn something new, to be a beginner? Um, how does that sort of feel? And, and uh, is it easy to get down on yourself and go, oh, no, it's too hard? <laughs> yeah, I think I've practiced it a lot now. So it's addictive and that, you know, I've just started the didgeridoo. So I've been at it for a few weeks. It is so frustrating. Like it is so... <laughs> But that feeling of being completely hopeless at something like that kind of activates something in me where I think, you know what, I'm going to get this and I'm going to just stick at it. And I, I've done a few things now, which were just felt impossible when I started. And then just through repetition and, and continued effort, you eventually get there. And I find that extremely satisfying to uh, pour myself into uh, fields that have a lot of depth because um, when you can just do something easily first go, it just doesn't have the appeal. Like I don't gravitate to those things and I'm interested in things that are hard and I, that you can sink your teeth into and that take a long time to master. So um, there's endless, there's endless possibilities and opportunities for that. So the hard thing is choosing. And, and I think you've got to really focus on what interests you and, and, that goes back to what you're into when you're a kid really. And what did you like to do? And um, so law for me was a pathway um, I think that was somewhat programmed into me and um, security was a, you know, was a big reason to get a profession and um, get something that would get you some social status and some respect and be lucrative. And so these are all the reasons why you can pursue a career like law and and for me that's why i um, if i'm honest that's why i pursued that field so you've got these creative urges that maybe at school you did like art or you did like sports or you did like um creating artistically or writing creatively and you find yourself in a very left brain um you know monotonous office cubicle where you're not those parts of you that are just yearning for um, uh, yearning to be activated and yearning to be exercised um, aren't and uh, it becomes overwhelming and I think you can feel like a, a rat in a cage and I just had to get out so um, yeah to be able to do these things now and to have the time and the space I wake up every day just feeling so blessed so happy um, and if I ever do, uh, get worried about anything, I just remind myself that 
man, you're free. Like you could do whatever you want today. And this is a rare opportunity and um, you don't get these chances too often in life. So I'm making the most of it. And every day I just, it's just a chance to create something beautiful that I want to share with the world. And there's no pressure right now. Um, so uh, it's fantastic. I'm, I'm loving every day and it's just a stark contrast to, you know, that nine to five grind that I was in for so long. So um, very, very grateful. Um, so you, you gave us a great Nirvana reference there. Uh, what was the rage? <laughs> the rage. Yeah. So despite rage all your rage, against the machine. no, despite all your rage, you're oh, still just a red in the cage. <laughs> oh, the rat in the cage. That was yeah. Smashing Pumpkins, wasn't it? Oh, Smashing Pumpkins. Yes, you're right. Shit. Smashing get Pumpkins. It, I right. think I'm, I'm mixing up my 90s grunge bands. <laughs> yeah. So what, what, what was the rage that, that you were suppressing down while you, while you were that rat in the cage? Oh, geez. I think it's a combination of things. The PC culture um, that's overtaken the world. Um, uh, as a man in an office environment, in a white collar environment, um, the demasculation of men, um, which is probably going to be a um, sensitive topic for some, but uh, the watering down of, of masculinity where it's harder and harder to be yourself um, in some ways. Um, if you, if you are athletic and um, uh, outdoors orientated, being in a cubicle is for long periods, you know, lawyers are renowned for long hours uh, at a desk. So that can be very unhealthy. Um, Self-medicating with cocaine, um, alcohol, uh, ecstasy, um, whatever illicit drugs takes your fancy to relieve the, the pain that you're in. Um, because it's not, it's not a satisfying, it's not satisfying a part of you. So there's, um, numbing agents that, you know, are required to offset the stress, um, yeah, all of this, it's a, it's a combination of all of those things. And maybe, maybe um, being a square peg in a round hole as well, where you don't feel like you quite fit in, um, that can be challenging. So all of those things um, can make you feel like a rat in a cage and uh, it can make you feel crazy some weeks. So um, yeah, I look out the window sometimes and, you know, see a gardener, on the grass trimming the trees and just think, man, I, I wouldn't mind trading places with you just to feel that sun on my skin <laughs> or the fresh breeze, you know, on my face. Um, so I sort of thought to myself a, a few times, like who did I, who's got it right here? Did I make the right choice? Or, you know, did the gardener out there who had the smile on his face, um, make the, the better choice. So um, all of those feelings um, generated uh, some desire to get out for me. And um, thankfully I was able to do that consciously and um, in, in a positive way, rather than just completely self-destructing. So yeah, <clears throat> I hope that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I just, just had, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with Monty Python, but they got this skit called the four Yorkshiremen. 
and um, they just basically keep complaining worse and worse about their situation in life. And, um, <laughs> and one of them is, uh, you know, you just said about staring at the window, you know, as an optometrist, it's, oh, mate, a window, luxury. We're in a dark, dark room. But yeah, I, I yes. have one of those moments. That I think that's why I love the NZ Farming uh, Instagram page so much because I just, you know, watch these snippets of people, you know, herding sheep or mo- moving deer or, or whatever. It's like, yeah, I think yeah. I was, I was, I like i wonder i wonder what the salary is like on it as a uh as a deer shepherd right at the moment you know <laughs> not, the grass not, is always greener as they oh, say that's so right <laughs> every industry has its challenges and and but i guess if you have natural certain natural um desires or yeah just natural preferences and you go against those you're setting yourself up for a a pretty suffocating career and and yeah, you can over, you can overlook those things or push them down for so long, but um, I think as you get older, you start to appreciate those qualities more and more, and think, you know what? I think I'd rather nurture those qualities and and um, and and honor those within myself rather than just keep pushing and suppressing and mm. um, you know taking these paths for other people or for social status or just for the money. Uh, maybe it would be an idea to try something that um, engaged these natural propensities and and brought out those um, natural preferences. And maybe I'd flourish even more if I did something that that honoured those qualities. So um, I just couldn't get that ad- idea out of my head, and I just thought, you know what, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna sell the business and um, and try and do something different and after 10 years too, I felt pretty saturated. And if I look back on the life cycle of my business, um, the first, it took me really, you know, everyone says it takes five years to create a business. And I, I think mm-hmm. that's pretty accurate. There's outliers, of course, that, that just nail it and um, have freakish, you know, starts out of the blocks. But for me, it really did take five years. And, and the first two are pretty adrenal because you're on the edge of failure the whole time. But looking back over a decade, they were the funnest years because the adrenaline's pumping. And I mean, I, I, they're scary, but um, there they they was so much fun because that is the creation. And if I'm honest, um, yeah, they were the most enjoyable, even though they were the least lucrative for me. So I just love that building phase and, um, and having to make it work. So that pressure was excellent for me. And then, you know, it was nice to get through that. And, you know, as you approach that four to sort of six years was when I um, probably peaked and, and things got comfortable and your systems are in place and you've got your staff or your crew or your client base and the, the work's repeating. You don't have to work as hard to get it in. And that was very comfortable. But then I, I started to get bored because um, it wasn't exciting anymore. And then, yeah, the last three years were more like a, a ramp sort of out um, mm-hmm. rather than, I think I was just done and, and had enough of it. So um, I was grateful to get out and um, yeah, now it's time to do something new. How, how much is the sort of relationship building um, in that commercial law side? Like the, beauty, the beautiful thing for me in optometry is, um, the relationships that you build and like like I spoke about in the last podcast you know that's really what our profession is is about these relationships that we build over 
20, you know, maybe even 40 years, you, you might follow someone up and like, you know, I saw a four-year-old today, you know, and that person might be my patient for the next yeah. You know, so so long, which is which is amazing. But you know, um, what what's it like when you're the one that r- writes it all down and finalizes everything? And, and uh, I know my experience, the few experience I've had with lawyers, I just want to get out of there and, and write my name and, and leave. What 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 sort of situation are you able to foster um, in that sector? Yeah, uh, very important. And essentially, uh, yeah, there's a great book. Uh, there's a lot of called- trust there, eh? <laughs> There is, it's, it's all trust. Um, yeah. I, I read a book recently about uh, beautiful constraints. It was called, <laughs> and it made me reflect on the entry into my business was uh, during the GFC mm. and I was made redundant from, you know, my stable job uh, at another law firm. I was an employee there. My wife had just been in a critical car accident two weeks prior and she was so she was off work she was in a critical condition in hospital two weeks later i got made redundant from that job so we went from being a young professional couple with two you know reasonable incomes to zero income and and uh, a mortgage and we just built an investment property so we just taken on a second mortgage and so it was a really hectic time and and um there was a bit of scrambling involved and the reason I started the business was because, uh, well, one, there were no jobs. And so I kind of had to, and two, I needed to be able to take my wife to appointments and well, be there for her while she recovered. She was in hospital for many months and then there was a lengthy rehab process. So she was at home and just needed some support. So I started the business from home in my living room on my laptop um, with a few thousand dollars, um, basically. And those constraints make you, there's no marketing budget. There's no, uh, I'm going to have a box at Suncorp stadium and wine and dine people. It's all, how do I give value to people? How am I going to win business? And, um, shockingly just being a nice human being and calling people or dropping in and seeing people, is uh, not very well practiced and it's uncommon behavior. So I just found those little things built those relationships. And it was just, uh, I just literally started going to as many meetings as I could, um, any networking event, I went to it and I just target one or two people and just get to know them and chat, chat to them, follow them up, drop into their place of business, say good day and just build rapport. And that's, that's really all I could do because I had limited funding. Uh, I wasn't going to go on a crazy advertising campaign and put my face on the side of the local buses or, or on the back of the taxis or anything. So it was all relationship building. And the other thing I saw in the human beings that um, became my clients or referral partners was they want to support young, hungry uh, players and people were generous to me and they gave me a chance. And I think they can, they sense that hunger and they sense that they're going to get great value out of you, particularly when you're starting because you tend to over deliver because you got time. And yeah, I look back on those lucky clients in that first year or two and they got so, they got so much for uh, cheap really. So 
they were happy and um you know you have to adjust that over time of course but it was basically all relationship building so lots of phone calls lots of meetings lots of coffees um lots of going for walks with people i mean i even got downhill mountain biking at one point just to meet some people um who were into that and uh, they invited me along and i previously you know didn't have a mountain bike or wasn't that interested but um got into it just to kind of get involved and get amongst it. And it turned out to be a really effective tactic. And that's essentially how I, I created the business. Mm. So you brought up a big topic there, networks. Um, and that's sort of, with most things, you sort of find that word of mouth is massive. Um, when you look at your referrals, like say referral partners and things, word of mouth is, is where things come, come involved. Now um, that you've left that profession, what sort of things do you find in, in your network now, like a sort of sounding board or, or, or a place that you know to get, get things done? Or, or what, you know, what, what's the sort of value of the network now that it's not commercial? <laughs> My current network um, outside of law, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess it's become... Uh, a lot of people in the movement community that I'm friends with, um, different mentors, different teachers, uh, family who I trust. Um, I've got a pretty small circle. So uh, having close, a few close confidants or people that you can bounce stuff off because it's really hard to be objective when it comes to your own life. And sure. you really do need, um, to bounce things off other people because um, uh, it's that it's that proverb of um, not seeing the wood for, through the trees. You know, it's it's really hard to be objective about yourself. So it's very very valuable to um, ask other people for their opinion. And I really enjoy um, people who don't agree with me. I really enjoy conflicting approaches to life and people who challenge me because it forces me to see things differently. And I've got one or two friends who do things. I don't agree with a lot of the, you know, I don't necessarily agree with their approaches at times. And I think, why would you do that? You're crazy. But um, at the same time, I love it because they're just looking at stuff through an, through a completely different lens. And I find that, um, refreshing and yeah it forces me to not be so mono-focused and it can open your mind up to the possibilities of how to go about things and there's no one set way and um so I, that's very very valuable to have uh varied opinions and and varied advisors and you don't have to take the advice of people you know they, they offer you an opinion and their advice and you think about it and sometimes it's good okay, I'll, yeah, I agree with that and I'll do that. And other times it's bad and you know, no way I'm not doing that. So I think it's, it's good to have a mix. Yeah. Now it's, um, <clears throat> I especially like that, that varied approach from other people and, and Jagger and I in that last one, I'm sort of talking about, you know, you know, masking, you look at the, you know, the things he's achieved or tried to achieve or, or, you know, committed to, to, you know, his ambition to, and you go, well, 
what is it about that guy? You know, what is he doing? What is he giving up? And, and where, is, where is he focused? And, and Jugger kind of thought that it was massive action. And, um, you know, it's that, again, sayings, you know, you can have all the ideas you want, but without action, nothing ever happens. So, you know, what, where do you find that, that, that will, that courage to, to take action on, on these things now when you've got so many opportunities? I think um, I, I did a post about this very concept today where I find uh, I've, I've really reinvigorated myself with the ice baths. I've got a, an ice tank here at home, um, a chest freezer that I've converted into an ice bath. And I really, I really hate the cold and I find it extremely hard. I've, I've been doing it for about three years now at home here, but it just never gets easier for me. Like it's always horrible. Uh, getting in but there's something so empowering about um, getting in and enduring a few minutes in the ice so I think those sorts of practices um, unlock that courage aspect of the psyche where um, well if I can do that um, you know I can ask this beautiful girl out on a date or which is something that creates a similar anxiety to getting into an ice bath for some people it does for me um and so you know you pluck up the courage to go and do these hard things and oh well you might get rejected or you know what she might say yes and come out with you on a date so that might be nice um or you know i've been doing jujitsu for the last four years and it's very intimidating culture and environment for me and I've never been a fighter and I've always found conflict difficult. And so um, I think after I started doing ice bars, it sort of gave me the confidence to go and do these things. And um, I started booking trips, um, surfing in Indonesia and I, just doing these things that I'd always wanted to do, but I'd put off because of this made excuses or, or let, let sort of procrastination and fear get in the way. Um, so those sorts of practices like the ice baths, I think have unlocked that part in me that give me permission to do these hard things. Yes, they're terrifying. Yes, it's very, very uncomfortable, but I'm going to go and do it anyway. And the satisfaction of getting through that fear is what makes them addictive, I think. Um, mm. So, yeah, there's a really great universal um application to those practices that you can trans transition into other fields so i think it's just practice and once you get confidence and experience doing it you can start to transfer it into multiple facets of your life and before you know it you're building this sort of body of work that um, all relies on the same sort of universal principle which is yes it's scary i acknowledge it's terrifying but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to prepare as best I can and just see what happens. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I think that's like the, all the things you're passionate about, like you said, looking back when you on your childhood, like what, what did I dream of doing? And then it's kind of like, well, I've done this one thing that I thought, or oh, maybe I want to do that. And then I did it. And then I reaped the reward of it. What if I just did that again on this next one? Like you say, you always wanted to go surfing on in Indonesia and you came up with the you know 101 reasons why that's a bad idea. It costs too much. You might cane yourself on the reef. You know, you might die. You might, you know, something might happen to you in Indonesia before you've even gone surfing. Like, oh, so why would I do that? But 
it's the same like going on a Wim Hof retreat with Wim Hof. Like, oh, you know, he's a big deal. I'm going to be out of place. But no, you went and did that. You had an incredible experience. Now you've got a tool for life. You understand it. You can reap the rewards of it. Even, even when you don't have a great Wim Hof experience, you still have a great Wim Hof experience. And then so it's like, no, I am going to go book that flight, pack my surfboard and, and go to Indonesia. And then once again, you've got another thing and it starts to build on it and you start creating these these things that, that you're passionate about and it's it's funny like for me one of those things is is going hunting in in fjordland to go hunt wapiti in this incredible landscape and it's kind of like i don't know right now how i would do that but i know if i win one of those ballots i will go and do that and it's almost like putting the cart before the horse it was a bit like with the with the ultra marathon it was like something since being a child that i thought oh yeah i'd love to do an endurance event we just got to enter and then it's like well now i've got to do it i guess and 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 front loading yeah. front loading like entering these events you know you got to front up with some cash or something and it's like shit now now i really want to do a good job of this so i'm going to do it and, and so you get this momentum going um yes it, you know it's exactly what you said about like the one thing that's basic principle of, of the courage to take the step creates so much for your life and i love what you said about a body of work you know um, where does that sort of come from that idea of, of creating a body of work? Uh, I think, um, you want your life to be a masterpiece, don't you? You want it to be, uh, um, have layers and, uh, have facets and, and I like the idea of having multiple interests and, um, being, having a multidisciplinary approach and, I, I do admire specialists that can just uh, do one thing um, all the time and, you know, there's a place for them, but yeah, I really like the idea of um, having some variety and um, but in fields that have depth. So mm. yeah. And I just, I think it's because I enjoy learning and I just want to um, experience different crafts and um you know, I think you make your bucket list. Uh, who wouldn't want to learn to play a musical instrument or speak another language or, or you know, do some travel or um, everybody's got these, these dreams. So why not um, look at your life as a body of work and, and a masterpiece that you, can, um, that you can play with? And so I think it's, it's compounding interest when you start to do one thing it empowers you to do the next and the next. And, you know, before you know it, you've got some diversity in your life. And I, I find that extremely nourishing rather than just being, um, and I think that's the danger of getting trapped in, in an office, in a cubicle for too long where, um, and I, and I was um, very fortunate to, well, well, I don't know if you'd call it fortunate, but, just doing that over and over and over and turning to alcohol for relief caused me significant problems led to the breakdown of my marriage. You know, you go through a divorce, it's very, very painful. Um, but then the lesson in that is, well, oh, this isn't a healthy existence. I need, I need more than this. Um, just my job and my identity as a lawyer isn't making me happy. Um, so I need, I need other things. And, that's when I started to bring in the ice baths and some breath work and some meditation and some movement. 
And, and all of a sudden I had these other things to focus on, which brought me tremendous relief and started to create this body of work rather than just being stuck in this one lane that was become toxic and unhealthy. It turned on me. So um, I think that's a better approach and you know, everybody's free to write their own book and, you know, why not make it an exciting one? Yeah, man, you, you've, you, you've brought up some interesting language that you sort of said about a masterpiece and you want to follow things with depth and earlier you said around what that depth for you means is, is mastery. And, and you especially have that with martial arts, the, those levels of mastery um, until you reach the ultimate goal of a black belt, say. But even then, it's not over. There's always lessons to be, to be had. So I think that's a, it's an awesome way that you've described things and it fits in well with, you know, it's, it's congruent with what, what you're saying. Yeah. And like I said before, the, you know, when you start down um, some of these disciplines, especially when you get a few years in, you realize that it's the start is usually the most enjoyable process, even though it's really frustrating. Um, you get good gains in things. So you, you make rapid progress where um, maybe you're learning to handstand and mm. um, you make progress relatively quickly and it's exciting. And once you can balance on your hands and you're, you know, you get a 10 second handstand. It's so rewarding. But then when you get to the middle stages where, you know, from 40 to 50 seconds or from 50 to 60 seconds, it's the, the return on investment gets skinnier and skinnier. So it's sort of, it's a different zone, um, which is also enjoyable in a different context, but yeah, starting new things is so much fun. Uh, for that reason, because of the the excitement and the gains and the novelty. So um, I, I really enjoy trying new things for that reason. So I think it's good to um, be a beginner all the time and, and always be doing something that is fresh and new for your neuroplasticity as well. Like it's good for your brain. It challenges your brain and um it's gratifying because uh, you make rapid progress. So it's good to have in the arsenal, just something that you completely suck at um, all the time. I think you've got to have something that you completely suck at, you know, every week. Um, and then it's, it's good to have things that you're good at too, but I think that's super important for the mix. Yeah. Matt. Think, thankfully <clears throat> life throws those things that we suck at uh, each day, but um I don't know the sort of mind mindset flip of that is is that that's an opportunity for exactly what you talked about those moments of enjoyment and excitement of of, of just conquering that little bit eh? like that that's that can be sort of the mindset shift that you have about those those experiences again make making things parallel to the rest of your life you know remember that those little gains they are the most exciting especially when you look back on it so when you are having a tough time we are struggling when you're trying to just get get one foot up you know that's yep. that's, where, that's where the massive joy lies i learned to surf as an adult and um which it's a very hard sport to learn you and it's very hard especially it's almost impossible to learn on your own like you almost 
because it sucks so much. You're drowning. You're getting hit by boards. Other people are angry at you. Could you swim? Um, you're getting stung by things. You're getting sunburnt. You're getting, you hit the rocks. You fall over. You cut yourself on the fins. Um, getting banged around. You feel like you're going to drown. You can't do it. Um, it's one of the most frustrating uh, sports to learn as an adult. But that first green wave that you get, when you'll never forget it, the feeling of, of actually riding the wave for the first time when you stand up and you're going along the wave and it's so exciting. It's just exhilarating. And in many ways um, it can never be duplicated. It can never be, I don't know if you can ever get that stoked ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and like the truth is you look like a Gumby, you're all stiff and you're just barely hanging on to it. And it only lasts for a couple of seconds maybe, but it's, it's such a euphoric moment. It's such a milestone and yeah. it's so rewarding. And um, I'm really jealous when I see beginners now and you see them about to have that moment or they have it and you, and you're stoked for them because you know how good it felt. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm always looking for that, that first wave in things. And um, because it's, it's, um, it's so enriching, it's, and it's so valuable. So yeah, I think it's good to, to always have something that's new. Looking for that first wave. I love that. Could, could you swim when you, when you learn how to surf? Yeah, I could swim. I'm not a very strong swimmer, um, but I've sort of grown up around the beach so uh, i've been in and out of the surf um but yeah i was in my 20s mid-20s when i learned to surf um so and you've got these 10 year olds if you live in a, <laughs> if you move to a coastal community you got 10 year olds that can shred you know and they're paying you out and you know there's some aggression in the water too i'm not sure what it's like over here but it's pretty crowded at certain locations here and typically you want to learn at the points where the waves are a bit more rolly and they're a bit more organized and a bit easier to sort of paddle into, but that's where all the crowds go. So you cop the most abuse there, which is <laughs> sort of paradoxical because the places as a beginner where you need to go to surf where the waves, are the friendliest, that's where everyone is. And that's the hardest place to learn. So, um, yeah, it was so frustrating, but uh, thankfully I had a mate who was uh, already a good surfer and I don't think I would have got through it without his encouragement. Um, he also laughed at me quite a lot <laughs> and gave me a hard time, but um, I think it was because of him that I actually pushed through that horrible frustration in the beginning. Um, these days I'm a bit more stoic on myself and, um, but I think a good buddy or a good training partner, um, so valuable. Right. I'm writing that down. Uh, find a good, good, good buddy to go surfing. I, I, I've tried uh, long, long board um, a few times at, at a reasonably rolling wave. I've had sort of a two, two second ride. And I, I sort of wonder, is it, you know, all this time sort of body surfing and swimming and, and bodyboarding, is it, is it put me in bad steed or something, or is it just, I'm, you know, got to get out get out of my own way and just you know let somebody guide me i think so i think that you've uh, you've given me some advice so i'll take that one on board <laughs> next, next, next time i try go surfing because you're right i'm in search of that first wave and and um not just in surfing but yeah that that sounds that sounds really good bit of advice uh 
search for the first wave and, and uh, find them into, even if they do laugh at you a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Mate, so you, we've, we've touched a little bit, danced around the edges of, of, of the YouTube and movement. What, what's up there so far? How, how's it all going, mate? And, and, and what's the experience been like? It's been good. I mean, I've been um, playing around with YouTube lately. So uh, yeah, I created a channel during COVID last year when I had a bit more time because I was at home more. And I just wanted to start sharing my movement practice, um, some of the breath work that I've been doing and um, yeah, a bit of the ice baths and that sort of thing. And I just wanted to get comfortable uh, creating video and um, being in front of the camera and um, the production side of it because I'd never used any sort of video editing software or, you know, cameras or anything like that. So I found the, um, again, this is something new to sink my teeth into and yeah, it's been really enjoyable. Uh, and I, I like to think it's helping people. So I've had some good feedback from people who are interested in, in movement um, in particular, because uh, I've, I've shared, I've tried to touch on things where it might be hard to get free information at the moment in areas of movement, um, locomotion and soft acrobatics, that sort of thing. So um, I'm relatively self-taught, but I've had some uh, online coaching myself last year. So I, I wanted to um, share some of that with people just to generate some interest and give people some extra resources or some inspiration or some ideas to help them get started. And uh, if they want to work out from home or, you know, even if they want to go into the gym, but a lot of body weight stuff, um, uh, some yeah, acrobatics and uh, calisthenics some hand balancing, that sort of thing. So it's been really fun. And one of the, one of the videos you sort of made was about that whole experience of online training. Is that right? Yeah. I made a video about uh, my experiences trying different online training systems. Um, so I've probably tried, yeah, maybe, um, maybe a dozen or so. Now uh, I touched on probably um, six or eight uh, different, trainers and websites that I've used to develop um, a movement practice, uh, particularly around body weight strength, gymnastic, uh, gymnastic strength training and hand balancing and, and, and locomotion, soft acrobatics, uh, which are all areas of interest to me because I, um, I'll be 40 in a couple of months and I wanted practices that I could do long-term. So, I wanted to, um, yeah, find out things that had some longevity that I could keep doing. You know, I used to play rugby like yourself, um, which you sort of have a, an expiry date for that sport. <laughs> and uh, for me, it was, um, I think it was about 27 when I got shoulder charged by uh, a rather large um, heavyweight prop and uh dislocated my shoulder and i just never went back to it the injuries uh, and the risk profile just didn't really suit my lifestyle anymore as much as i love the sport so 
finding finding other ways to move that have some expression and some joy and some fun but are also really healthy um keep you in shape and um you know like hand balancing in itself is just a uh, a rabbit hole you can go down on its own but there's there's all these different disciplines within movement that you can incorporate into your own practice and i just find it a really enjoyable way to go about physical exercise because just like rugby you're kind of distracted from the fact that you're exercising i think i kind of need that a little bit i if you ask me to just do burpees i i kind of really struggle with that these days, I, I kind of need to be a little distracted. So I find uh, the soft acrobatics is um, a little bit more dance orientated or, or there's a lot of coordination to it. And you're really focusing on, you know, your coordination and where you're placing your hands and feet and which way you're bending and twisting and flipping. So I really like that it has that quality to it. Um, and uh, jujitsu, of course, is something that I've, I've added in too. Um, and again, you're sort of distracted by the fact that you're trying to survive. <laughs> uh, you, you forget that you're exercising. So, yeah, I like those qualities. Is there sort of, um, I've never been to a BJJ gym, is there sort of music or, or noise or is it just uh, people slapping as they hit the, hit the deck and, and grunting and rolling around? Yeah, I think uh, all the gyms are different, but um, the Brazilian culture um, is very relaxed and it's very friendly. So um, like uh, unlike other martial arts, they're not overly strict on, you know, if you rock up late or there's respect, but it's, it's not anal. <laughs> and at my gym, um, one of the coaches anyway, he loves heavy metal and um, he's uh, from the UK and he always plays, you know, when um, oh, his favorite band, he's got tattoos of the prodigy symbols on his yeah. shoulders and he loves the prodigy. And you know, when, when breathe, I think is the song that by the prodigy, when that comes on, he usually puts us through this horrendous um, oh, conditioning circuit to warm up. So um, yeah, there's jams playing and while we're rolling, there's jams going on. And so, yeah, it's a really, it's a really fun environment. It's very cool, very social, very relaxed. Um, everyone trains hard though. And you know, there's people are there for different reasons. Some people want to be competitors and you got sort of weekend warriors like me and or mm. corporate types and uh, men, women, kids. Um, it's such a mixed, very demographic. Uh, there's, there's engineers and pilots and doctors and lawyers. And then there's truck drivers and guys in the mines and, um diesel fitters and uh, awesome. mechanics and it's it's a real blended family <laughs> yeah it's it's funny you're talking about the brazilians casual attitude um i was listening to rogan the other day wax lyrically about the gracies and he brought up that sort of capoeira element which of course is you know i guess it's like fight dancing to music and, yes. and beats and things like that so it's not surprising that there's that sort of musical element to things and, and and you do the same when you're in the flow of, of movement practicing do you sort of check on some tunes and are you sort of oh, rhythmic or, or are you a bit more absolutely aggressive, aggressive? <laughs> no it makes a huge difference especially um with some of the acrobatics and the locomotion and soft acrobatics um music 
yeah, there's a rhythm to it. There's a rhythm to your movement and um, yeah, a good beat really helps um, uh, with your rhythm and your timing. So um, yeah, I've got some playlists that I, I just revert to um, and it, it helps tremendously. And, you know, it can set the mood, you know, music has a vibration. It's a, it's an energy. So it can really enhance the experience and now, whenever I hear, you know, breathe by the prodigy, I, <laughs> I almost get a cold shiver because I know it means a really hard conditioning circuit. So it starts to link in your mind to certain activities. Um, so music's very powerful. I, I, I'd say underestimated and capoeira. I've not um, really taken any formal classes, but um, I love the fact that there's, there's live music going on while you're mm. doing it. All those, um, really cool Brazilian instruments and drums and um, yeah, you know, I'd love to, could you imagine having, you can imagine playing rugby and having like, <laughs> like Metallica just jamming on the side of the field while you're playing. Like that'd be awesome. Yeah, man. I think that's what, um, why when teams go and play in Argentina, despite the fact that they might whip them or well, used to, not anymore, but back in the day when they used to might whip them at home, but then they go to Buenos Aires or whatever and, and be a real struggle and they you know, draw or win by one point and things like that. Um, just because of the sheer noise, you know, the, the Boca Juniors crowd, you know, showing up for yeah. a rugby match, being like, yeah, get the, get the tunes and the drums and the, everything going on. Like obviously Argentinian, but very similar to, but, but not to Brazilian. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but, um, I remember when COVID hit, when they did return to playing sporting matches like AFL or, or rugby league or rugby union, and there were no crowds yeah, the fake crowd allowed was- initially. <laughs> and I, I found it really unenjoyable. I, 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 I didn't realize just how much the crowd influences my enjoyment viewing a sport. You know, yeah. they, the crowd creates an atmosphere, it creates an energy and it has a musicality to itself. And it was really sort of dull, you know, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you put a game on and it's something's missing here, something's not right. Um, and it was the, the crowd was missing. Yeah, and it's, it's funny, like one of my favourite A-League teams is, is uh, Western Sydney and I'm pretty sure they didn't do very well last year and, and I wonder how, how much that incredible uh, Eastern European crowd that, they, that they've got at, at their games you know, plays a factor. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's huge and what was really interesting was uh, the UFC because they found a way to run fights where through quarantine where there were no crowds and mm. the sounds were different. When when you hear someone get kicked or, or punched, you could hear the visceral tones of ribs cracking or, mm. uh, you know, knuckles hitting skull. And it, you realize that the crowd really um, absorbs some of that noise. And then the fighters were different. Like a lot of them perform differently. There's big, there's fighters like um, Conor McGregor who really thrive off the crowd energy so um, they're at a disadvantage because they don't have that energy to feed off. Mm. But then there's others who are intimidated by the crowd who thrived because they they didn't have that distraction and they could just be a lot more focused. So it's a huge um, influence over activity um, because there's an energy to it. So 
yeah, I found that really interesting just to observe in those different arenas. Um, and that's why I think it's really important in your own personal practice that um, you explore music and, and try, try to incorporate it because um, if you've ever done like, uh, I think we touched on it last time, I went to Costa Rica and did uh, ayahuasca ceremonies in, in, at a facility called Rhythmia and the music there makes it it's mm -hmm. it's in fact the um uh the ikaros or the the songs that the shaman and their helpers sing um they say are almost more important than the ayahuasca or the you know the the plant medicine itself to to create the tone like to create the mood and the vibe so the music there was unbelievable and i it's just sad. I think in our culture, it's probably a bit different in New Zealand because, um, you know, I know a lot of Kiwis that can sing fantastically. Whereas over here in Australia, we don't tend to sing very much at all. And when you hear someone singing live in person, it's beautiful. And um, I, I sort of wish there was more of that. And the only singing I can remember as a child was occasionally my grandparents took me to church Hmm. but it was horrific i hated it it was, <laughs> it was like it was unpleasant on the ears and it, there was no soul to it i don't know which is which is again ironic because yeah it's all about soul. singing about <laughs> god or something that's meant to be heartfelt but it felt monotone and 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 like a drone like it was unpleasant so it's funny you, you bring, yeah, bring I, up i think bring up. um it's funny you bring up the singing like New Zealand versus Australia. Like I think it's really wonderful now that Australia is starting to put out some of the um, Aboriginal songs and things at the start of events and, and you know, they're creating these First Nations rugby league teams and things and, and getting them to do their various war dances or war cries or whatever it is. Um, something I never really realised about New Zealand growing, growing up early on, I used to get up far too early so my parents would just basically be like go entertain yourself and they'd have Māori culture um, competitions on the telly on a Sunday morning and so I'd just sit there watching these things the choices were that or watching church ironically <laughs> as, as we yeah. were just talking, talking about so I, I, I sat there watching Māori culture groups heaps I mean I was lucky enough to go to a primary school it was a Catholic primary school but we had um, a marae next door and got really into kapahaka so my whole you know, formative years of schooling was also immersed in this sort of Māori singing and, and that sort of cultural stuff. And it's amazing now when, you know, you flick on the TV and watch All Blacks do the haka or or um, this awesome band from, from New Zealand 660 have just done um, uh, one of their songs I've redone in Māori and, and Stan Walker as well, who I think he won or got second on Australian Idol. Um, he, yes. he, he as well has made a whole album in, in Sadeo Māori and, and started singing these songs in Māori and just that hits you right in, in the heart and so I think that's what correlates to now seeing in Australia the, the Aboriginal songs coming to the fore and, and, and things like that is, is really awesome to see and you know you know, if, when, when it comes to your kids Aaron it might be something that the singing does and, and that movement and, and, and sound does become a, a way of their life you know I, yeah, I didn't, my family weren't musical, so there wasn't a great deal of singing. Um, and 
but it's something I I'd love to have more of and, and, and practice and get into, to be honest. Um, and one of the things that drew me to taking up the didgeridoo just recently was uh, a mate of mine was explaining to me who can play quite well. And, um, and uh, he's, he's learned from indigenous teachers. Uh, I w- this, this particular mate's also a breathwork, very much into breathwork. So he was explaining to me from a scientific breathwork perspective, the value in um, using a breathwork instrument like the didgeridoo for people who suffer from sleep apnea, asthma, mm. there's all these terrific um, benefits from practicing a wind instrument like that because of it tones your, your tongue and um, your throat and, and your lungs are being exercised. Um, and it also changes your blood chemistry uh, because you, you, you're dealing with sort of long uh, exhales. Mm. So um, you tend to uh, build up um, CO2 in your blood, which, which alters your brain state. And mm. um, after a period of playing, it becomes trancy mm-hmm. where because you haven't been breathing in the same, you know, in the typical pattern, you, 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 you're expelling a lot of air and you're taking these short inhales. Like, mm. so you're not sort of sucking in as much oxygen and the CO2 builds up in your blood and you get these um, euphoric psychedelic states start to happen and he was explaining to me as you get more advanced into the practice that the the noises that they can generate, they can play with these ry- rhythms, but then those those noises, the really eerie sounds that start to come through are like, it's like uh, trauma release and mm. these uh, internal expressions that are uniquely yours just start coming out. Um, I haven't sort of um, gotten to that place yet, but that's what, that's what attracted me to it because I thought, holy crap, I had no idea that there was so much depth in this instrument. And then when you start to hear how many sounds it can make, yeah. it's just a log. It's just a stick. How does it make that many sounds? Um, so the, the interplay between the human and the stick is pretty fascinating too, that you can get that many sounds just from your lips and a stick. Mm. Um, so yeah, I've been just trying to, you know, practice 10, 15 minutes a day. Um, it's very frustrating initially, but yeah, it's a goal of mine for 2021 is to learn a didgeridoo. So um, I'm sucking right now, which is great. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, it's pretty amazing. The, like you, you mentioned the rhythmia stuff and, and then again with, with the breath work and the, and the didgeridoo and the sounds and what starts to flow through. Um, and like even yoga practice you know they often will have the music on and it's all about controlling the breath through the movement and some of the most powerful Wim Hof experiences I've had um, one really good one was lying by a waterfall uh, another really good one has been lying by the ocean and then two powerful ones have been in a group setting with very good intense music um, and and even if, if people want to go on Instagram to Wim Hof's page he's got like a little 10 minute guided session and it's got great music to it you can get some powerful experiences just from three rounds with with god yeah. with that but again it's fascinating how quick and deep you can get to those states when you've got that that sort of i don't know trancey or, or or committed sound and and 
how much better the feeling can be when you're doing it in a group or, or with nature. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how energetically and, and I guess spiritually um, something like the breath and sounds um, can have on us as a being. Absolutely. Yeah. Breath work, I think, is um, the safest, uh, uh, you know, drug-free way to access altered states of consciousness. And like you say, 10, 15 minutes, um, you can really tap into a, a whole nother side of your own psyche. And, um, you know, the science is, you know, they're studying this stuff in depth now and, and they're showing that um, those those happy brain chemicals that are released, the serotonin and the dopamine and the oxytocin and the neuroadrenaline uh, that are activated, which, um, you know, they're all things similar to when you take drugs that get mm. activated. So you've got this pharmacy in your own brain that is triggered through um, the, the breath holds and, and, and conscious, yeah, voluntarily stressing your respiratory system and, and creating these altered states, which then shifts your perspective away from um, the, you know, just the analytical brain, the analytical mind that is constantly worrying and assessing. And um, all of a sudden you access these lucid states. Uh, and if you're beside a waterfall, I can only imagine nature heightens the experience uh, because it, it has its own frequency and its own sort of resonance from the trees and the water and, and everything else. So I think that that interplay would be, um, is beautiful and it, it makes it even better. So um, yeah, it's just a, a nice little vacation from, from your own mental stress and worry that is really hard in this day and age to, to take off or put down because we're so busy and that monkey mind is just nonstop having to make calculations and having to stress and worry and all the notifications pinging off <laughs> every three seconds. So just to take, yeah, 15 minutes to go to another place is a, is a beautiful practice and um, it's safe. You know, you can, you can just back off if you're, if it's not working out for you, um, which is a bit different than dropping a tab of acid or eating a pile of mushrooms. I mean, you can't get off that trip. You know, you're on that trip. You got to, you got to ride that snake. Whereas breath, you can just uh, back off. What I, what I find fascinating is I'll get to an end of the end of the day when I've done breath work before I got out of bed or especially when I start to build momentum and, and probably the downside of it is, is, is it's lasting momentum. So it's not until sort of two, three weeks later where you've all of a sudden gone out of that pattern and, and forgotten to keep doing the breath work that you kind of go, oh, I'm not feeling so good. Oh yeah, I'm not doing breath work anymore, but you've, you've had this roll on, but yeah, like yes. you get to the end of the day and go, like you said, I haven't been worrying about the minutiae today. I've just been yes. having a great day, enjoying the moment, doing the things that are, you know, for some reason yesterday were bothering me, but today they're not. Yes. Um, yeah. It's, it's amazing. Like you said, that, that uh, mind chemistry that we've all got inside us can, can just function a little bit better and in a state of being can just be nicer from something simple as 10 minutes 15 minutes breathing it's it's remarkable and, and it's and it's funny when you forget about it for a little while how you go oh yeah that was working <laughs> i better get back and doing that <laughs> oh absolutely yeah i think i like to do it in the mornings um, yeah, me when too. i wake up just it just sets the tone for the day and it gives you 
um, uh, you know, because that little that little bit of adrenaline in the mm-hmm. morning from the breath holds, which gives you that little bit of fight or flight initially, and then your body counterbalances that with the parasympathetic nervous system, which which brings you that euphoric relaxed relaxed state. So you get this really beautiful blend of a little bit of a pep up. So you're energized, but you're also euphorically relaxed mm. all at once. So it's a nice way to start your day and, and just prime the system. It just upregulates your system and then away you go. Um, throw a cup of coffee on that and you're ready to run through walls. Oh, yeah. If um, anyone wants to blow their mind, uh, that Andrew Human podcast I was talking about was with Lex Friedman and they went they went real deep, but, yeah, they, they sort of touched on uh, – the effects of MDMA and it's exactly that, that massive dopamine kick, but at the same time, a massive serotonin kick. And that's why they think that somebody's so plastic and malleable and, and why he's sort of postulating that the uh, MDMA assisted psychotherapy might be so powerful over, over those coming days after, after that experience. So, you know, the, yeah. um, the future or the near future is quite interesting in, in the way we understand the brain and, and and the firings and wirings of of this thing that we know bugger all about um we know some markers we know that they're in there but where they go and what they do is is, is really fascinating and it's cool that someone in the neuroscience realm can have this deep three-hour conversation with someone in the artificial intelligence realm and, and you know see the two worlds collide and, and what's going to happen going forward and i'll get quite a kick out of andrew huberman because he's he always talks about the retina. So for me, I'm just like, yeah, that's the brain. That's what I look at every day. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And what these guys are, you know, showing with their science is that you've got a, essentially a pharmacy in your own brain and yeah. that you can access certain neurochemicals uh, consciously. And, you know, and, and guys like Wim Hof have overturned um, the, um, the idea that was in science for a long time that things are autonomic that mm. oh you can't consciously control things like your your own body temperature or or just decide to be happy and just <laughs> dump some serotonin into into your bloodstream so that you you feel euphoric and happy well yeah actually you can and um in 10 or 15 minutes with some controlled breathing you can voluntarily stress your system to induce these um, uh, these brain chemicals to to flood your system and you can make yourself feel terrific in a very short window of time so um, it's it's great news for people who suffer anxiety and depression and and which is you know it touches almost everyone these days and I think most people are anxious um, on some level just with the speed of the world so um, the you know, the doctors that do prescribe um, lots and lots of um, these sedatives and um, various medications for depression and anxiety, it's giving people an, op- an alternative and an option that they can, they can do some self-care and take care of themselves. And, you know, you don't have to do it every day, but if you feel called to it, great. Generally, when you're feeling the most stressed and lousy is probably when you're you, you sort of want to do these things and 
the way I sort of divide the breath work up is into two categories of the up regulation and the down regulation. So it's nice to do the Wim Hof in the mornings because you want to kind of up regulate and prime your system. Um, but then in the evenings, uh, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to bring myself down. So I'll revert to, you know, like the box breathing or mm. something like that, which is incredibly calming and you slow down and, um, or even the didgeridoo I find does that. It slows me right down and my breath gets longer and, um, and softer and, you know, and it's good to, to wind down before you go to bed. So having, having choice, you can upregulate or you can downregulate um, is very empowering. And, you know, I think we need to get this out there so that people have more tools for their own health and, um, maybe it can even replace to an extent some of the pharmaceuticals that, you know, people rely on and there's have side effects and addictive qualities. Um, especially with those, uh, you know, with those ones that have, um, you know, the, those morphine, the, 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 the ones that really bomb you out. Yeah, the opioids. And, and um, um, with, with Jordan Peterson was the benzodiazepines uh, on a long, long time, um, was that Lex or was that Tim Ferriss? One of them. One of them was interviewing. Yeah, Peterson had that. Yeah, one of them was interviewing his brother-in-law. I think it must have been must have been Tim Ferriss, and yeah, he spoke because he this guy ended up looking deeply into benzodiazepines, and he described it really well about this sort of uh, down regulation in the system and reliance and and how it then basically you get uh, categorized as crazy or, or addicted. And I was kind of like, oh, that's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, use, use a, a beware with, with those ones. Um, and, and obviously the, it's a whole spectrum of things and, and sometimes the tool, the tool fits and, and other times it's, um, yeah, not, not so only useful in the short term and, and has consequences like everything, everything has a, uh, reaction to it so yeah it's, it's, well, it's, tough, it's tough fascinating one, eh? that they're, they're not new technologies you know these are ancient um like the wim wim hof is um adapted from the the tumo breathing and you know the the tibetans and um mm. these ancient civilizations have, have used these practices to stay warm in the cold just through necessity because they live in harsh Himalayan snowy mountain climates. And so, you know, they're, they're really ancient um, systems that have been popularized into modern culture, which is, which is great because we know there's a, there's a history there and, and they've worked for many, many generations. So it's great that there's a renaissance of these mm. um, really effective ancient tools that people knew about ages ago, but, on another level, I feel like we're all kind of morons, you know, modern, modern civilization is kind of moronic in a way that we, we forgot and lost all this great stuff that we had ages ago. And now we're just rediscovering it. And everyone's like, wow, look at this stuff. And, you know, these um, third world countries are like, yeah, we've had that for 3000 years. So nothing new. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yoga is the same. You're like, oh, yeah. you, can, you can do a yoga class. You're like, oh, yeah. It's really good. That's really good. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, ama it's amazing. Right. So what 
what I'll get you to leave us with, Aaron, is yes, because you know, last time we found out, you know, what keep what had been keeping you in flow. I think um, if you could leave us with what you're focusing on to stay in flow for 2021, man. Like you said, it's a open opportunity, blank slate to put a few more lads of pain on that masterpiece. What's what are you sort of directing yourself forward with to to be in that flow? <clears throat> to stay in a flow state. Um, I, yeah, the flow states come and go for me. So uh, I, I take them when they're there and I do my best to, to create those flow states. For me, it's um, having some discipline around my practices, especially when, um, when I really got in, you know, when I really was cracking along with my movement, meditation and breath work it was after I had kids and I had the least amount of time. And I found that those constraints made me ruthless with the hmm. little windows of time that I had. There was no mucking around, no procrastinating. And it activated um, a ruthless intensity that I'd never had before. So it was only after I lost all my time that I, I got really ruthless with my time. So I've learned from that. And now I have more space. I'm still putting these boundaries and constraints on myself to make sure that I stay creative and I have that, that creative pressure on myself. So um, setting goals, giving myself deadlines, putting that pressure on myself, I think is key for me. That creates flow state. I need, I need, uh, I need pressure and urgency to perform that's just how i am so if i have a year to do something i'll leave it until day 364 and then and then try to do it so uh i'm trying to break things down into chunks and give myself right this week i've got to do x uh, by the end of this month i want to do x and and just chunk it like that so that's how i'm approaching it and then you know chunk my day down into into units, you know, okay, I'm going to get X, Y, and Z done before uh, lunch and then have lunch and enjoy myself and not worry. Then I'm going to do, you know, my next activity. So yeah, for me, those constraints, those boundaries and the discipline to follow through on it and just revisiting my goals, get my journal out in the mornings and just check back in on my goals and what I want, what, what I want to achieve and why I'm doing it and, revisit that and um a little mission statement or, or a little motto or something to keep yourself going I, I find very helpful and and try to remember who it is i'm trying to serve and and the people i want to help and you know why i'm making this change um being a lawyer was all about me it was all what could i get out of it and and how much money could i make and how much uh, social status could I get and how much recognition would I get? Whereas now it's, oh, who can I help? How can I help? What do I have to offer the world? And how do I get that out there? Um, so reorientating my focus towards service is um, a new theme and mixing that, converging that with some boundaries and constraints, I hope will keep me in flow. Epic, mate. Thank you so much. Um, obviously, I'm going to direct everybody to the YouTube page and, and your Instagram page again. Um, 
Thank be you. sure be sure to you know touch base with Aaron and, and myself and uh, yeah it's going to be an awesome awesome watch this year man and and I love connecting with you across across the Tasman Sea and and uh, through through the interwebs and and hopefully one day this bubble opens up and uh, the world gets a plan going forward yes. and uh, and uh, we can connect in person finally which would be we- fantastic. We will. Very grateful. Yeah, you're doing great work. And thanks for um, sharing your podcast and yeah, all the great guests and all the great information. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to catch up and I hope to see you in person soon. Awesome. I'll press stop. I like that. Um, putting some boundaries and frameworks around the things that you do. What was springing to mind as Aaron was talking about that is the popular legend savage Jocko Willink discipline equals freedom um and you could probably say that you know life obviously waxes and wanes but what aaron has put in across his lifetime that discipline to create to work hard um create a business a viable business that he's able to sell on has now created freedom now uh there's obviously debates around the time frame and, and you know, Aaron would definitely support the fact that he's lived a full life up until now, but yeah, he's reaping the rewards of that discipline. And now that he has freedom, he's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. He's still applying um, that discipline model to create freedom in his life. Um, and he said about the, the pressure, and, and of course, pressure creates diamonds. Um, and yeah we're a lazy monkey and so we sometimes need a a goal we we need that um you know those those things to drive us and push us the uh, carrot and the stick so to speak so yeah that was a wicked chat and and i took a lot out of it um the surfing idea is an analogy (laughs) um not just for trying to stand up on a surfboard and catch that first wave um a metaphor that was that word that uh jack jensen and i were trying to come up with the metaphor <laughs> um yeah finding mentors finding those first waves bloody cool bloody cool hope you enjoyed it wicked to bring you another episode and um yeah as i say at the start say every time reach out love to hear from you cheers we'll see you next time on the stag roll